The passage I would like for us to look at today is in Psalm 27. Psalm 27. <clears throat> and you'll, the first thing you notice about this psalm, if, uh, if your Bible reads as mine, is that it's a psalm of David. Is that right? Is that what you have? And uh, that tells us some things uh, about what we're going to look at in this psalm. Uh, David wrote most of the psalms, many of the psalms, and uh, David comes to us with a testimony about a variety of problems. You may remember how he was rejected. He was the youngest of his family, rejected by his brothers. After he killed Goliath, Saul in jealousy tried to kill him, felt threatened, and pursued him about ten years. Um, David fled into the wilderness away from family and friends and lived off the land there. Uh, then he became the king and fought numerous battles. I, I went through uh, the uh, Second Samuel, First Second Samuel, counted about nineteen battles that David was in. You know, probably the story of his moral failure with uh, Bathsheba, the death of his baby. You may not know, uh, but uh, the Bible also talks about the rape of his daughter, his only daughter. There was the rebellion and untimely death of Absalom, his favorite son. There was the time when he had this disease outbreak in the city of Jerusalem, killing tens of thousands of people, a great plague. So David was a man who knew what it was to have problems. His life seemed to go from one problem to the next problem with intermittent solutions between them. And so when you open your Bible there and look at this is from David, you're going to be looking at the wisdom of a man who knew what it was to live life with God as his hope, with faith in God, and he needed him. <laughs> this is a man who desperately needed God. And let's, I've divided it here into four sections. The first one is in verses 1 through 3. Uh, this is the observation that David has made through his life. He begins by simply talking about what the Lord means to me. Verse 1, The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? By the way, I uh, taught this verse to my children uh, when they were growing up and they were constantly coming in and you got four of them they were constantly coming in waking me up because they were afraid of monsters and I got so fed up with it one night I went in there and I said hey 
I'm the monster you need to be afraid of if you wake me up again. But that it still didn't work. I gave them this verse. I don't remember if it worked, but I think they grew up. But this is a great verse to teach your children. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He is my refuge. Of whom shall I be afraid? It gives three descriptions of God. He's your light. What does that mean? Did you know you need light to live? When David said, Lord, you're my light, you're like the sun rising in the morning. You're like a beautiful spring day. You, you're an environment in which I thrive. You put plants next to a window because they need the light. An experiment was done. I read about this. I don't know who pays for these things, but an experiment was done with mice. They filled a big tub with water and with high walls and then put mice in there to see how long they last swimming. These are scientists. And it, they found that the mice could swim for up to 37 hours before they drowned. And then they turned out the lights. And they found that with in total darkness, they only swam for three minutes. Then they just quit. Light has a way of producing drive and vitality. And David says about God, you are my light. You are my environment that I that revives me and I thrive in. He says, and you're my salvation. My rescuer, my deliverer is what the word means. Uh, one time David was fleeing from Saul and Saul had him totally surrounded. And he went from one cave to another looking for David. And David was in the cave that he was about to come to. And he knew this was it. He couldn't get free. And suddenly Saul got a message that the Philistines had attacked his hometown and he had to leave pursuit of David and go and defend his hometown. David knew God had just did it. He's my rescuer. He's my savior. He's the one who, when there's no way out, he gets me out. And the third, th the third one there is, he is my stronghold or my refuge. That is literally a word that means a place out in the wilderness that was a cave-like structure that was used, you could put sheep in them and, and uh, protect them by rock sides. David was a shepherd for many years when he was a teenager. He knew all those places where you protect your sheep. He says, God, that's what you are to me. You're my light. You're my salvation, my rescuer. And you are my refuge, my stronghold. That's who you are. And he needs it. Because look at verse 2. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they stumbled and failed. Verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise, yet I'll be confident. He says, look at the intent of evildoers. He's, his enemies. Look at their intent. Verse 2. When they assail me to eat my flesh. 
These are people who mean him no good stuff. They are about to eat him. They are like predators. And then look at the numbers of his enemies. Uh, my adversaries, plural, foes, plural. Verse 3, though an army encamp against me. An army against one. <laughs> That's the numbers that were against him. And then look at the duration of his enemies. Though Verse 3, though an army encamp. They, they didn't just attack once. They, are, they have put me under a siege. My enemies want to eat me. My enemies are, are like an army. And my enemies have besieged me. But the Lord is my light. He's my salvation. He's my refuge. And when David thinks about all of the trials and failures that he has gone through in his kingship, he looks back and he says, that's what God is to me. So it's an observation in life. This is David's theology. And it leads him to verses 4 through 6 to request something from God. It's a decision. What he has found out about God in the light of the, in the evil of his enemies and the numbers of his enemies and the duration of his enemies. But the Lord was his light and salvation and refuge. Therefore, he said, you know what I have? I, I, here's my decision that I've reached in life. Look at it in verse 4. I think it's the secret to David's life. Psalm 27, 4. Here's a decision that I've come to after my experiences with God. One thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after. To dwell in His house all the days of my life and gaze or meditate or appreciate His beauty. Let's pause there. Have you ever asked God to keep you in church? You understand, if you've ever been out of church and away from public corporate worship, how the heart can grow cold and you lose your desire. Did you know the desire, the motivation, to, for public worship of His name comes from Him. That's why He says, I need God so much in my life that I'm basically going to pray for one thing. I'm going to ask God for it. And then secondly, He says, I'm going to seek after it. That is, I'm not only going to pray for it, but I'm going to, I'm going to take steps to see that it's so. He's going to get ready on Saturday night for church on Sunday morning. He's not going to wait till Sunday morning at 10 to decide, right? He's making intent, deliberate, intentional steps. He's also praying to God to put it in his heart. So he's motivated. And it's not just to go to church to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. But it is to see God there. To gaze on his beauty. To appreciate and admire the Lord Jesus Christ. His purity, 
His glory, His majesty, His power, His holiness, even His dreadfulness, so that there is a high reverence for who He is and the position He holds. We we tremble to take His name in vain. This, He says, I have prayed to God and I'm going to seek after this to stay in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and appreciate and admire His glory and His beauty. Why? Oh, look at my life. Look at my problems. The death of a baby, the rape of a daughter, the rebellion of a son, the plague on a city, the constant wars. I need God. So one thing... I may be able to do without a lot of things, but there's one thing I need, and that is to constantly have God as is the center of the vision of my life. And I do that in public worship. Because he says in verse 5 and 6, Well, he'll hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He'll conceal me under the cover of his tent. He'll lift me high on a rock, and my head will be lifted up above my enemies. So this is what David seeks for. So you have David's confidence or observation, verses 1 through 3. A decision based on that observation in verses 4 to 6. And then his prayer. This is the petition he actually prays. He says in verse 4, I have asked the Lord to to seek after him. Well, here's the words of the prayer, verses 7 through 12. He actually gives you the prayer he prayed. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. This is the prayer that kept David in church all his life long. He says in verse 8, You said, Seek my face. And my heart says, Your face, Lord, I seek. He responded in obedience. And he says in verse 9, Hide not your face from me and turn not away in anger. You've been my help, but cast me not off, forsake me not. What he says in verse 9 is that as I come to God to pray, I realize God could justly be angry with me. And he says, God, don't forsake me. Don't leave me alone. Do you want God to leave you alone? Have you ever thought about that? Or if God would just leave me alone, how simple life would be. No. David says, God, don't leave me alone. Don't leave me in my state where your anger would be there. He, David says, Lord, I have sought your face, but it's not been a perfect seeking. It's not been a continual seeking. Uh, I don't deserve to see your face when he prayed that this one thing I've asked of the Lord to dwell in his, ha- in his house and gaze on his beauty, I don't deserve it is what he's saying in verse 9. But then look at verse 10. My father and mother may forsake me, but the Lord will take me in. And here he's saying to God that, Lord, I need you because the greatest earthly love is unstable. Father and mother. Who's going to love you more than father and mother? And yet they may forsake you. 
I hope that's never happened to anybody here, or and I hope that it never happens to anybody here. But I know that it happens, and it happens every day. Fathers and mothers let their children down. And David is saying, as much as parental love is the most stable, the most sacrificial, I need you more, O God. David is saying, without you, O God, I'm an orphan. This is why he prays. This is one thing I seek. It's a humble prayer because he says, I don't deserve it. But it, it, it's also a, a, a desperate prayer because I need it more than my own parents. I need to, to, to your love and your care and your focus and your vision. And then it's a specific prayer, verse 11 and 12. Teach me your way and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. False witnesses rise against me and breathe out violence. God, don't turn me over to enemies. And so we understand in life there are enemies. John Piper says, The Christian never grows to maturity until he understands that life is war. We have enemies. That's why we need God. So after he's, in verses 1 to 3, he's expressed his confidence, his observations about God, kind of given us a theology there. His decision he reached on the basis of that is verse 4 to 6. He's going to ask the Lord and seek the Lord to give him one thing that he needs more than anything in life, and that is to worship God in the public setting all the days of his life. And then you have his petition that it be so in 7 to 12. Now look at verse 13 and 14. This is the final section. And it actually, it's his testimony to us. He looks back on his life, looks back on his problems. He sees how God's delivered him. He's his light and salvation and refuge. And he says, now here's verse 13. The King James Version puts it like this. I would have fainted had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Uh, <laughs> so much is in that verse. Here's what, here's what David is saying to all of us now. This is where he comes and he give, leaves a legacy, a testimony for everybody to consider. He says, here's what you all need to know. I would have fainted. I would have just given up without hope. Had I not believed to see, notice the order. I, had I not believed to see, most of us want to see to believe. When I see it, I believe it. Remember Doubting Thomas in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, uh, verse, chapter 20, verse 25? Thomas said, Unless I see the nail prints in his side, I will not believe. Jesus comes to him and he says, Look and don't be doubting, but believing. And then Thomas looked, touched, and he said, My Lord, my God. And then Jesus said this, John 20, 29. 
because you have seen, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen, but have believed. Can you believe today without seeing? If you can, there's a special blessing for those who believe to see. Now, to see what? I would have fainted unless I had believed to see. What? The goodness of the Lord. Not the judgment of the Lord. Maybe it's the way I was raised. A kind of a fundamental, legalistic, judgmental church back in southern deep south, hills of Tennessee. They were very critical. How you wear your hair, women wearing their skirts. Uh, And judgment was a big thing. It's easy for me to believe I'm going to see the judgment of the Lord in the land of the living, especially on me. And David says, no, no. I would have fainted had I not believed that I would see the goodness. (laughs) Amen. Sometimes it takes faith to believe you're going to see the goodness of the Lord. Because sometimes it's easy for us to say, I'm going to see the judgment of the Lord. That's coming. I'm pretty sure on that. One other thing in that verse 13. I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. Where? In the land of the living. Not in heaven. Everybody believes we're going to see goodness of God when we get to heaven. Do you believe you will see the goodness of the Lord down here on earth in the land of the living in Michigan. (laughs) I was praying this morning and I was thanking God that I I live in Michigan. I mean, I don't know where that came from. But I paused and I said, Lord, I bet you don't hear that very often. (laughs) Do you believe you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living here in Michigan? Believe to see. Not see to believe. Through it all, here David says, I kept my faith that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So here's what he says to us, verse 14. Therefore, he says, wait for the Lord. Wait on Him. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait on the Lord. Wait for Him. What you need today, according to David, here's a man who went through a variety of trials, troubles, and failures. And what David says is, after the way God got me through it all, as my life and my deliverer and my refuge, he says, I want to tell you something. Wait on him. Give him time. Let hope arise, he says. Believe you will see the goodness of God. Courage. 
is what some of us need today. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Verse 13 and 14 is his testimony that he leaves behind for all of those. David knew what it was to lose people and things. Position. He lost much, even though God would sometimes give some back. David lost even his own virtue and righteousness, but he found out God was his righteousness. To lose. We, a lot of times we're just afraid of what we're going to lose. Well, David said, God is my gain. One thing I need, one thing I ask of, to see His beauty and appreciate and admire Him in public worship all the days of my life. Jury Levin was the first American to be taken hostage by Muslim extremists. This was in Lebanon in 1984. Uh, he was a journalist for CNN. Totally like many journalists today, no religion whatsoever. Jewish background. Father was an atheist, but his grandfather was a rabbi, so he had some Jewish roots. Then he was taken captive by the Muslims. He said the hardest thing in his captivity of a year was the privation. There was nobody to talk to. Uh, he said, the only time I ever saw anybody was when my captors would come and take me to the bathroom and escort me back. And they wouldn't talk. And he said, as I sat alone, day after day, week after week, month after month, he said, I have got to talk to somebody. So he thought, I'll, I'll talk to myself. He thought, no, that'd be like I'm crazy. How do you carry on a conversation with yourself? And he thought, uh, I'll talk to God. I never talked to God before, but nobody else is here. So I'll talk to God. So he began to talk to God. And as he talked, at first it was awkward, obviously. And it was one-way conversation. But then his talks became two-way talks. He said, God began talking to me. And he said, at the end of a year, I had, as a Jewish man, I had put my faith in Jesus Christ. And nobody there but me and God. And I became a Christian. Actually, today, Jury Levin is a, it works for a group uh, for nonviolent solutions in the Middle East. But working as a Christian today. But he said, the thing that changed me was when I was deprived of everything but God. David's prayer is, he said, I've lost some things. But I've realized that no matter what happens, if I have God as my vision and my focus, 
David said, I've learned that's the one thing I ask for. That's the one thing I cannot live without. That's the one thing I pray for. Jury 11 found that same. Loss of all things. Gain of God. Paul put it like this. I have a, a tension between departing and being with Christ. He describes death. He said, for to leave this life, to depart this life, is gain. Having the Lord Jesus Christ fill your vision and fill your horizon. And that is my prayer for you today. Life is full of the ups and downs, trials and triumphs. But the one thing I hope you'll join me with in praying for, along with David, is that we would continue to worship Him in public and appreciate His glory and victory. Believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land.